Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Since we recorded our last podcast, we've seen the very sad news about the death of Queen Elizabeth II. As the former head of the armed forces, the Queen is of particular significance to those who are members of the services and veterans. This week, NHS England wrote to NHS services and highlighted that the Queen's death had the potential to trigger mental health issues within the armed forces community. NHS England asked services to familiarise themselves with referral pathways to Op Courage, which is the veterans' mental health and wellbeing service that is available across England for serving personnel who are due to leave the military, reservists and veterans. At GP Online, we thought it would be particularly useful for those in primary care to hear our podcast interview with Dr Veronica Grant again in light of this, a GP in Derbyshire who until very recently was the RCGP's clinical champion for veterans' health. We're talking about the healthcare needs of veterans and steps practices can take to better support veterans and military families. Veronica also explains a bit more about Op Courage and how that service works. This is an interview that was recorded in November 2021. I'm joined now by Dr Veronica Grant, who's a GP in Derbyshire and the RCGP Clinical Champion for Veterans Health. We're going to talk a bit about veterans health and healthcare for military families. So I was wondering if, first of all, you could explain a bit about how you became particularly interested in, in this side of healthcare. Thank you, Emma. Yes, um, previously I worked as a civilian medical practitioner for Defence Medical Services, providing um, care for serving personnel and their families. I also have personal insight as a military spouse uh, through my husband, who was serving as an officer in the army and he's now a veteran. We're talking about veterans' health. So what sort of health needs uh, do former members of the armed forces have that GPs and other practice staff should be aware of? So there are some physical and mental health conditions which may be related to military service or, or may be more common amongst veterans. Uh, so physical health problems, including musculoskeletal problems and, and common conditions such as osteoarthritis or hearing problems, which may have been accelerated by military service. Um, with regard to mental health problems, um, this, is, this is very topical at the moment, given the recent events in Afghanistan. Um, there's a report saying that there's been a, a, a doubling in the number of calls to uh, combat stress um, helplines for mental health problems um, in recent times and also remembrance uh, commemorations as well. So common mental health conditions such as adjustment disorder, anxiety and depression are, are common amongst veterans. Uh, in addition to PTSD um, is more common in veterans than those who haven't served. It's important to note as well that alcohol problems are more common as are substance misuse. And also a recent study showed that gambling problems are also a, a bigger issue amongst veterans, um, significantly more common amongst veterans and, and then those who have not served. Um, veterans are regarded as a potentially vulnerable patient group with 52% having long-term illness or disability, uh, which is higher than that of the general population, which is quoted at 35%. Why did the RCGP feel it was important to have a, a champion for improvements in healthcare for this particular group? So studies over the last few years have shown that um, a large number of GPs are not aware of which of their patients are veterans or what to do about that information um, using the correct codes um, in, the, in the records, unaware of, of veteran-specific services to signpost to, and, and also recognising some of the health problems that are more specifically related to, to veterans. There's also part of the Armed Forces Covenant, um, it was promised by the nation that those serving or who have served and their families shouldn't be disadvantaged by their military service. 
um, improving care for veterans is part of the NHS long-term plan to ensure that all GPs in England are equipped to best serve our veterans and their families in conjunction with the RCGP with a plan to roll out the veteran accreditation scheme, which is an easy um, programme to sign up to and better equipped practices to, to best serve the uh, military veterans. You mentioned there the the accreditation um, programme that the RCGP has. Um, Can you explain a bit about what that is and how it works and why you think it's a good idea for practices to sign up to it? It's highly recommended by practices that are already accredited. Um, It's a simple, free and online process whereby practices provide evidence that they're supportive of veterans' healthcare. It's quick and easy and requires no extra time commitment for practices. Practices are required to nominate a clinical lead, um, which can be a GP, but might be another member of the primary healthcare team. So there's many examples now of practice managers, nurses, paramedics, physicians, associates um, who have taken on the practice lead. Um, So new patients are to be asked, have you ever served in the armed forces as part of the registration questionnaire and then appropriately coded in the notes as a military veteran. Once practices are accredited, um, they're provided with an information pack with um, details of referral pathways, top tips for GPs, newsletters and training opportunities. So far, we have uh, 1,076 practices accredited, which accounts for about 15% of practices in England. Um, And a a recent evaluation project by the University of Chester, Westminster Centre for Research and Veterans, showed that 99% of those accredited practices would recommend the programme. So it, it has a high level of satisfaction for those already signed up. One of the things it asks to become accredited is that practices increase awareness of the health needs of veterans amongst clinical and administrative staff. I mean, how do you recommend practices do that? What's the best way to do that? Often members of staff may have military connections, um, and I think that's quite an important thing. Um, It's quite an important team building exercise in many ways um, that um, the staff feel that they, they're supportive of veterans um, and military families. Um, cascading the information to the practice team. So um, it's really important to have the involvement of the front of house reception staff, promoting the programme in the waiting rooms through posters, uh, screensavers, um, on social media and websites, um, and, and also cascading that, that information and training to the practice team uh, with relevant updates which are provided through the RCGP contacts. I also wanted to ask you while I have you here about um, families of military personnel. Um, Are there any issues that's useful for GPs and other healthcare staff to be aware of when it comes to patients on their list that are military families? Definitely. Um, It's important to say, I think there's a huge diversity amongst military families, um, but there are many things um, that that are in common. So they they may be exposed to long periods of separation from the the serving um, person through deployments or training exercises. Um, There may be some service specific um, differences. So in the Navy, um, a serving person may spend six months away at sea and then six months back on land, which can be really disruptive to the family. And in the army, they may have more frequent relocations for the family, Um, but there are some excellent welfare and support um, provided, particularly through the relevant families federations uh, as well. And also, if if, um, a military family was to move into the practice area, I think it's important to know that that's the case, that they are a military family, but also if they are um, on a waiting list for anything. So it's important that GPs and primary healthcare teams advocate to maintain the relative position on a waiting list, um, which they are entitled to. That's part of the Armed Forces Covenant, which you mentioned earlier, isn't it? Can you explain what 
that is and what it means for veterans and military families and also kind of what's important for GPs and their teams to know about it. Yes, sure. So the Armed Forces Covenant is a promise by the nation that in return for the service, that um, military personnel, veterans and their families will be treated with fairness and respect. Um, It it was initially a moral obligation, which has now been enshrined in law for the last 10 years. Um, So this has sort of parallels and translates into primary care for veterans in understanding the veteran community and their potential health problems, Um, having an awareness of how to signpost or refer to to appropriate veteran-specific services, um, and also to request priority treatment for uh, veterans when uh, health problems are partially or wholly attributable to military service. Um, and again, as we touched on for, for military families, it's having that awareness and understanding of the additional pressure faced by military families um, and also uh, maintaining that relative position on the waiting list where appropriate. So what are some of the key challenges that servicemen and women face as they leave the armed forces? And is there any particular healthcare issues that GPs is worth them being aware of? And again, is there any sort of difference in the challenges they might face depending on which service they were a member of? Sure. So um, I think there's there's a quote taken from a a study by King's College London, which was published in January this year, leaving the military introduces a rupture across all levels, which I think is really apt um, because serving the military is a way of life it's it's all encompassing um and um you know really leaving the military and that transition into civilian life can be really challenging um on every level from leaving a job with a clear rank and career structure to their social life accommodation even bills friendship camaraderie banter all of these things um, can be lost on on leaving the, the military um and it's often where where do they fit in 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 the world in, of civilian life um so not for all but for some veterans they do find it really challenging and that has an impact on the individual and their family um there's lots of things to sort out logistically from housing schooling spousal employment um and and stress on relationships potentially too um with regard to um the different services um i think there's probably a lot in common with with leaving the the military whether it's the Navy, Army or Air Force, it is that um, potential loss of identity and, and feeling of where they fit in in society um, to a large extent. And I think a NHS GP practice might feel like an alien environment. Um, so it's important that we um, maybe take that on board and are aware of that and go go the extra mile. So, you know, having things like in the waiting room that we are a veteran accredited uh, practice, um, it often helps to remove that barrier to some extent again if if veterans feel that they're understood they're much more likely to um, address health problems as well part of being a veteran uh, accredited practice isn't it you you should you need to ask people whether they are veterans whether they have been when they registered with the practice so if someone did that um would it be a good idea for a gp to have a an appointment with them and or is it more just knowing about it when they actually come in for an appointment that's the most important thing i think it's knowing about that that they are a veteran when they come in for an appointment rather than with again it's a diverse group and i think that's really important to say um some veterans don't need that additional support um it is the minority that do have um those u- unique um 
problems that are related to their service um, and then being able to know what to do with that information signposting to the relevant organization so op courage for mental health um, is an excellent organization which is veteran specific um, and can make such a difference to those who are struggling um, and as i say in particularly in light of the recent events in afghanistan which is really topical at the moment in terms of that you know you've mentioned that a couple of times is the reason that causing issues is it people who have actually been there and coming back or is it is it actually sort of triggering for other people who were there in the in the past and may have been in, in, may, may have left the army I think I think you're you're right by saying that Emma I think it's probably a combination of both certainly for those who've served in Afghanistan um, and and many of those from from previous times again it might open up sort of old wounds um, that have never really been addressed. How common is PTSD amongst veterans? The statistics do vary to some extent. So um, recent research shows that um, about 8% of veterans um, who've served in Afghanistan in recent conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq um, have PTSD. Um, that rises to approximately 17% of those who've served in frontline combat roles in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, but again, it's difficult because there is often a delay in coming forward with these problems and some may go unreported. Um, so patients may present in an undifferentiated way. Um, sometimes again with alcohol abuse as a maladaptive coping strategy. Um, so the, it may not be, the statistics may not be the absolute reality of the situation. So if GPs are, uh, have come across people with some of these issues, how does that work? Do they then, if they're veterans, they're no longer serving, do they then get referred into NHS um, mental health services or are there specialist services that help support former servicemen and women? There is an NHS service uh, called Op Courage, and this is an umbrella term. It's, it was launched in March this year, and it's an umbrella term for Different levels of uh, the service. So the the sort of transition intervention and liaison service, previously known as TILS, um, is where veterans are referred into directly. So they can self-refer. They can be referred by a charitable organisation or a relative or GPs. We can refer them to, and they're regional um, and. Further on from that initial assessment, which is usually within a couple of weeks, um, they may be signposted to other services. Um, the next rung of the ladder for those more complex mental health services, um, but again, through the same organisation, Op Courage, is the um, complex treatment service, um, which often has uh, trauma-based therapy, specialist services to try and help with those um, uh, those those individuals who have these more complex needs also within the umbrella term of op courage is the high intensity service which is more recent and been rolled out across the country um, which is more for veterans in crisis um, so th these tailored services often um, are, have veterans working within the service and has that have that relation and that sort of building rapport with veterans so they feel better understood um, even the terminology op courage um it's it's that, that positive connotation of actually stepping forward and, and asking for help so as we've talked about the rcgp's got the accreditation program but what else is the college doing around supporting improved healthcare for veterans um so there's a, a large number of training resources on the rcgp website um and um, that, so that includes webinars, podcasts, um, there's um, up, updates in information and those who are accredited um, are provided with regular updates and newsletters about the updates in veterans healthcare. Um, the, going back to the RCGP accreditation programme, um, 
I realise there's lots of barriers in, in primary care at the moment and everyone is, is really stretched. However, I feel that the accreditation programme does really um, equip practices and primary healthcare teams to best serve this population. Um, it provides the referral pathways. It gives um, ideas as to how to improve care for this patient population who, who are classed as a potentially vulnerable uh, population. Thanks very much to Veronica for speaking with me. You can find more information about all of the work the RCGP is doing around veterans' health, including the college's practice accreditation scheme and other education material on supporting veterans and military families in the description for this episode. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm back next week with our regular news review. Please do join me then. The interview with Dr Helen Garth from NHS Practitioner Health, which I mentioned at the end of last week's podcast, will run later this month. In the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the news affecting general practice and access a wealth of other resources at gponline.com.